Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Second hour of Clay and Buck kicks off right now. Everybody, thank you for being here with us. Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida will be joining us at the bottom of the hour. So stick around for that. Talk to him about how he thinks campaign's going um, and get into some of the important policy questions that we're all thinking about these days. You know, like the economy, what's happening in this country. Um, but I, I don't often spend, we don't often talk much about what's going on in Ukraine, um, in part because I think, for one, there's a lot of uh, people who have turned this into something that it's it's not, um, which is a core and essential American interest abroad. Um, you'll hear this from both Republicans and Democrats, particularly from Democrats, though, on the whole Ukraine flags, the the number of people who have Ukraine flags and and or had Ukraine flags and vaccine needles in their Facebook or Twitter bios or their email signatures really proved, I think, beyond any doubt that this became the thing that people attached themselves to who were part of the hive mind for a while. But generally speaking, here's how it goes. Uh, celebrities, including Greta Thunberg, who is a celebrity? Uh, I think she's 18 years old now. The high priestess of climate change. No degree of any kind from anywhere, but telling everybody about what to do with climate change. Um, I feel badly for any adults who listen to Greta Thunberg and think that that's worth their time, but there are millions and millions of them. Um, she's gone over there, over there though. Uh, I, I can't even think of all the different celebrities who name an annoying left-wing actor and he or she has probably gone over to take photos with Zelensky uh, because this has become a cause celeb this is something that brings them all together well we were told there was going to be a counteroffensive against Russia that was going to start pushing Russia back on its heels and no surprise to those of us who know what the propaganda is in this versus the reality uh, but Clay, the counteroffensive is stalling. And in fact, meaning the Ukrainian counteroffensive against the Russians is not going as planned. And now we're, we're faced with two things. One is a decision that hasn't made. The other is a decision that still could be made. Uh, cluster bombs. Uh, we know that cluster bombs can leave behind these bomblets that are quite small and if they do not detonate initially they just are left behind almost like landmines they just are dropped on the ground and then if somebody comes by later you know a, a random civilian a kid touches one it blows up and kills that person that's the reason why cluster bombs are ba are banned by so many different uh, international treaties well we've decided we're going to give the ukrainians cluster bombs clay so, so yeah. we're giving them cluster bombs, even though we know cluster bombs are a huge humanitarian concern. You know, I'm glad we're not, you know, giving them chemical weapons. And I'm glad we're drawing some lines here in the, uh, the critical fight for Ukraine. 
Um, but that's got a lot of people raising their eyebrows. So it went from we're just going to give them, uh, well, it started out with helmets and flak vests under Obama to then under Trump, it was dragging off sniper rifles and uh, anti-tank missiles, javelin anti-tank missiles, to now it's we're sending them hundreds of billions of dollars. I mean, who knows what the actual figure is? Uh, there's the official budget and the unofficial budget. And on top of all this, you've got Lindsey Graham, who, who is out on the campaign trail with Trump. This is always amazing to me. Lindsey Graham, people say, they, they say they hate the establishment, and yet they keep voting Lindsey Graham back in in South Carolina. You know, that I, I don't know what this is. Trump voters are all still coming out and voting for Lindsey Graham. But Lindsey Graham says that he wants, um, play, he wants, Ukraine to be admitted into NATO, which has been the initial red line for all of this. And he's saying, yeah, let's go. Let's put, let's put Ukraine into NATO at this point in time and hope Russia doesn't escalate. That there could are- create the escalation we're worried about. That one move. Here's the thing, Buck. There are so, this is the problem with deciding that you're on a side for purposes of the media. Okay. When you say, hey, Ukraine and Russia are in war, and pretty much unabashedly, the United States is on the side of Ukraine. Okay. The challenge then becomes, how do you get reliable media to cover and tell us what is actually going on when overwhelmingly the media is essentially in a rooting contest? Buck, does this make sense? So... It's seen as pro-Russia if you share the truth, which is this. Effectively, we've entered into a stalemate, and the much ballyhooed Ukrainian uh, counteroffensive that was to take place this summer has not materialized. Ukraine has gained virtually no territory. And so if you share the factual reality of the -the on-the-ground story which is Russia has fortified, effectively it appears, a nearly, at this point, impregnable defensive position that the Ukrainians are having almost no success pushing through. They have filled so many landmines. And the United States, and this is a big aspect of this story that is only now starting to get attention. You mentioned the cluster bombs that are going to be used, Buck. Why is it necessary because effectively we've run out of war material to even provide to Ukraine. And I was reading a good story over the weekend where one of the generals said, after five or six days, every war is just a logistics battle. So the first five or six days, you can be stocked, you can be supplied, you can be ready to go. But after the first five or six days, everything is logistics. The logistics are these. We don't have weapons of traditional nature to be providing Ukraine because most of our armory is now depleted. And this is alarming to me, Buck, because what happens if China goes in on Taiwan? This is a question we've been talking about on this program since the invasion initially happened in Ukraine. We don't have the war material to be able to fight in multiple directions. We don't have the resources. And yet, Buck, what does it feel like so much of our military spends time on? We can't fill our ranks we're missing uh all of the the, the numbers by 25 percent. i think recruiting the goals recent yeah data. way way below recruiting goals and what are we sharing oh you should be happy to be a trans soldier from admiral levine and all this other craziness going on it doesn't surprise me at all buck would you agree with this this thesis the least woke people in america are soldiers as a general rule if you're 18 years old and you are a badass, the more of a badass you are, the less woke you are. Would you generally agree with that thesis that if you're going to be a door kicker, the idea that you're going to be concerned about equity and inclusion tends to be low? You're speaking about combatants or people that are training for and prepared for combat. That's certainly true. Military is a very big organization, kind of like the CIA is, well, not nearly as large, but it's also a large organization and there are people that do cool and exciting stuff, and there are people who are really good at making lattes back at headquarters. So it really depends. But but in the, in in general, when you look at a twenty five percent failure on recruiting, the brand of the to me, and I could be wrong, 
the brand of the military does not have the appeal that it has had in past years to be able to fill its recruiting ranks. And to me, that's because what used to be the case was the military sold, hey, you can be a badass. You can be the best version of yourself if you join the military. And that had appealed to a lot of 17- and 18-year-olds out there who made the decision to go into the military. The, hey, you can be your full self, and you can be transgender and join the military, and you can be fat and out of shape like Admiral Levine is, that doesn't feel to me like a, oh, I want to be a part of that team. Do you remember, I remember watching, I think it would even run during, you know, Saturday cartoons, I would see that commercial, or you know, it was, you know, in the mornings on Saturdays when I was watching whatever I was watching as a kid growing up, the few, the proud, the Marines, you remember that? Oh, yeah. And I remember seeing that, and as a kid, thinking to myself, Marines, badass, heroes, want to do it. You know, like, it it would just process in your head. And if you're going to tell people, give up, uh, you know, first of all, sign away possibly, you know, your life in defense of your country. Um, Depends on whether we're at peacetime or at war. But give up the prospect of a private sector salary, at least for a period of time. Um, sign yourself up for an organization that's going to take away a lot of your day-to-day autonomy, certainly in you know, basic training and other other periods. Uh, it has to be, the esprit de corps is essential. You have to have people thinking there's a real, there's a purpose to this in the day-to-day that motivates them and, and that makes them want to be excellent. I mean, the military is really supposed to be, and it has been traditionally in this country, about, yeah, serving the country, defense of the nation, but also achieving excellence, whether you're, you know, an airman, uh, infantry, navy, whatever. And when you see this this messaging out there that the navy is falling, or I'm sorry, that the military rather is succumbing to, you know, the social experimentation of the left, that undermines why people. I mean, you know, we we need we need young men and women to want to go to war for their country because they believe. And if you hurt that belief because you undermine the entity itself and you make them feel like the mission is something that they aren't, they aren't necessarily going to be proud of or they don't feel like it's reflective of their highest ideals, you got a big problem. I mean, you know, we, we're, you and I are the 9-11 generation, right? Think of all the people who signed up, uh, military, you know, we had millions go through Iraq and Afghanistan, a few million veterans. People went and worked at the State Department, CIA, DIA, NCTC, NSA, I mean, everybody's trying to find bin Laden. There was a reason for that. I think that's 100% right. And on your Ukraine point, I think one of the challenges is we don't really have an honest media anymore, by and large. What happens when the bad guy wins, Buck? How does the media cover if you are going to say Ukraine is everything that's good and Russia is everything that's evil? If you're covering a war between good and evil, does the American media have the capability of telling you that the evil side might be winning? I don't know that we do. And if we aren't informed as an American populace with, hey, we've spent, what's the total now on Ukraine? $150 billion of our taxpayer dollars? Is it way more than that? It's it's approaching a trillion, I think, before all is said and done is how much we're going to spend if basically we've created trench warfare, the idea that we're going to have some huge moment of Ukrainian victory doesn't feel very soon. And if that's not the case, remember, how much time have you heard out there as you're listening to us? How much time did you hear people talk about, oh, this coming Ukrainian summer offensive, it's going to change everything, the counteroffensive. It hasn't worked. Nothing's happened so far, basically. I said it early on. I said this is going to cost a trillion dollars. Yep going to cost the united states when all is said and done we're going to spend a trillion dollars in this war in ukraine i know that sounds well less crazy now than it even did a year ago but you're looking at what a hundred billion a year already um and and that number could pretty rapidly escalate depending on on how things shake out so okay maybe it's not a trillion maybe it's four or five hundred billion now now we're talking about a number that i think anybody can see how it would get to that pretty quickly what exactly are we getting in all this? What is the end goal? They don't even tell us what the end goal is here. If it's every Russian soldier out of every inch of the Donbass and Crimea, there is no chance that's going to happen unless NATO wants to go to war with Russia. 
the Ukrainians will not be able to pull that off. So if it's not that, what is it? What are we trying to accomplish? What are we trying to achieve? What would Zelensky be willing to take on behalf of Ukrainian autonomy to end the war with Russia? We don't know. Our leaders in the Biden administration, does anybody think for a second that Joe Biden is like the second coming of, you know, Talleyrand here and he has some grand strategy in mind? Machiavelli, he is not. He has no idea what the hell is going on. He's just going to do whatever the system around him tells him to do. And they're very powerful voices for the military industrial complex that are all in on, you know, Slava Ukraine and send all the munitions. And all of a sudden it becomes very obvious to them. And, you know, you don't really hear a lot of people, I think, focusing in on the fundamental problem here, Clay, which is what are we trying to achieve? What is victory? If you don't know what victory is, what are you fighting for? They can say, oh, it's preventing Russian victory. That's not enough because then it never ends. Also, if you're in Russia, at what point does, oh, the United States is not actually fighting, but we're providing all of the weapon material that's killing tens of thousands of Russians? If the United States were dealing with tens of thousands of deaths, would we consider China to not be a combatant if China was giving all of the weapons to someone that was killing us? I, we are combatants in this war. We may not have boots on the ground in a traditional sense, but we're combatants. We are in this war, and it doesn't feel like it's ending anytime soon. And in worse than that, Buck, to your point, it doesn't feel like there's an impetus to even figure out what peace might look like. And to me, that's where we should be right now. Economist and best-selling author Dr. Nomi Prince has a warning for us all. She notes a select group of financial elites are plotting a drastic action unlike anything we've seen since 1971. Who's involved? Well, people in the White House, as well as people associated with the World Economic Forum. Even Bill Gates is involved. According to her research, our ability to spend, borrow, save, and invest could soon be restricted with the push of a button. She believes that our financial system is about to be transformed in a way that would have been unthinkable just a few years ago, and it all starts this month. Bank of America is calling it inevitable. If you've got any money in a U.S. bank account or retirement plan, pay attention to this. Get all the facts at disappearingdollar.com. You may not like what Dr. Prince has to say, but you'll be prepared when events take a turn for the worse. The website, again, is disappearingdollar.com. That's disappearingdollar.com. Go there now. Paid for by Rogue Economics. The Truth Compass. Pointing due right every day. The Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Junie. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. 
to the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to Clay and Buck. As promised, we have with us now the governor of Florida. He's also running in the Republican president, uh, presidential primary. Governor DeSantis, thanks so much for being with us. Hey, how y'all doing? We're good, sir. We're good. Uh, tell us how you feel this point in the race, uh, a lot of polls out there, a lot of people asking questions. I know you had to take uh, some of those questions over the weekend over at Fox from Maria Bartiromo. Um, what do you think your campaign's doing right, and what are you looking to do more of? What are you going to change? Well, it's interesting. Uh, it's pretty clear, and not just in the recent weeks. I mean, really, since we won re-election by so much last November, uh, we have been the target of the corporate media. They clearly do not want me to be the nominee. And I think it's because they know that I would beat Biden soundly. Uh, but more importantly than that, they know that I will actually accomplish uh, the big things that we know need to be accomplished in this country. You know, we'll shut down the border. Uh, we'll reverse Biden economics. We'll do all the things that so many Americans want to see done. So that's all part of their narrative. And they're going to continue doing that, you know, you know, no matter what happens. Look, the way we view it is, you're competing in individual contests. There's not a national primary. Uh, there's state by state. And so we've worked really hard to develop the type of support uh, on the grassroots level in places like Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, that really can propel a candidate to victory. I think we've uh, already announced 37 Iowa state legislators, including some of the leaders in both the House and Senate. We've got conservative activists, uh, faith leaders, all these important people uh, that can help bring this message to bear. And so a lot of over the summer, we always anticipated uh, would we be doing a lot of that laborious work that isn't as uh, newsworthy, maybe, but ultimately that's what leads uh, to, to, I think, a winning campaign. And so uh, we're excited about the progress. Uh, we understand that there's a lot more to do, uh, but we are focusing on how you actually accumulate the delegates uh, rather than kind of the national stuff that gets put out there, which, as you know, we don't have a national primary. I'm sure you I, I know that you even read uh, court opinions. I'm told by your staff for fun, which is a uh, which is a law school nerd thing that uh, that I think you've kept up with. Um, and sometimes I do the same. Uh, and on July 4th, we had, I think, one of the most consequential federal court rulings of the uh, of the entire covid era uh, with the uh, Judge Dowdy opinion about Biden coordination as it pertained to uh, censorship relating to covid relating to so many different issues as president. How important is this issue? Because I actually think it's maybe the most important. If we can't say what we actually think and our government's trying to censor us, what did you think of that opinion? What needs to happen to keep the federal government out of censoring the political opinions of anybody, Democrat, Republican, or independent in your mind? Well, the decision was right on target. I mean, as you guys know, the federal government cannot censor speech. It's a First Amendment. That's the core of it. Uh, and so we know that. And so just as they could not do a law to say you can't oppose COVID lockdowns or you can't oppose mass mandates, they can't subcontract out that censorship uh, to private entities. That's still every bit as much a violation of the First Amendment uh, if they're doing indirectly what they cannot do directly. So I don't think the court could have come to any other conclusion. Now, in Florida, we've actually taken legislative action to prevent state and local government employees from colluding with tech companies or any media company uh, for the purpose of censoring speech. And we think that that's an important line in the sand that needs to be drawn. And you have to hold people accountable if they cross that line in the sand. So we will do something similar. You know, Maybe we get Congress to do, but I don't even know if you need to do that. Uh, we will make it very clear that as president, uh, when you're working with tech companies to try to stifle dissent, uh, you are abusing your power uh, and you are infringing on the constitutional rights of American citizens and you will be shown the door. You got to start firing these malevolent bureaucrats. You can't just let them continue to take more and more of our freedom. 
And I agree with you guys. This is a fundamental issue because the left ultimately wants to dominate every institution in this country, and they have dominated a lot of them up to this point, not in Florida because we fought back, but across the country, and they want to impose an orthodoxy. And so back during COVID, if you posted an article in those early days criticizing lockdowns, tech companies would pull it down. We had one of our YouTube videos. I had a panel of eminent scientists, people like Dr. Bhattacharya from Stanford, early in COVID saying kids needed to be in school and they should not be forced to mask. Google YouTube took that video down. So there was a concerted effort to use massive amounts of power, both corporate and government, to impose an official narrative on the country. And first of all, that's just not what a free society is all about. But it's also, as you guys know, the official narrative coming out of our elites is almost always wrong, and it's almost always destructive to a healthy society. Governor DeSantis, Bidenomics is something that's being talked about by the regime in power right now. President Biden offering up a a version of what the economy is. Uh, What's your sense of what's going on right now in the U.S. economy, and what would you do if you were president to get things going the way they should be? So Bidenomics basically means you pay more for everything. Your standard of living goes down, uh, ultimately to the benefit of places like communist China. But it's important to, to identify kind of where all this goes back to. You know, the root of this was the COVID lockdowns and the Fauciism. And then they did the massive $2 trillion spending plan, borrow spending $2 trillion in March of 2020. You had a massive printing of money by the Federal Reserve. Then December of 2020, another $2.2 trillion. Then March of 2021, Biden did $2 trillion. And they've done more and more and more. You cannot inject that much borrowing, printing, and spending into the economy and not have persistent inflation. So they were warned about doing this, and yet they barreled ahead with it anyways. And so this has really been a government-induced economic uh, problem crisis in terms of affordability. And so one of the things you got to do, one, we're going to reverse Bidenomics, which is basically the politicization of the economy. They want things like ESG. They want the Green New Deal. They want you to have to bend a knee to left-wing ideology to be able to participate in the economy. That's not going to work, and it's going to mean less freedom for everybody and a lower standard of living. So we will do that. But we've got to ensure that the Congress is not allowed to spend like drunken sailors. When they spend at this level, you are just not going to end up having inflation be where it needs to be. Uh, We're now 50% more in terms of spending on federal agencies than just 2019 alone. Does anybody out there feel like they're that much better off because the bureaucracy has grown so much and these agencies, failed agencies like CDC and NIH, have been stuffed with more borrowed money? No, everybody knows this has been a colossal waste, uh, but it's had huge impact on the economy. We're also going to open up American domestic energy production. It's good for our national security to be energy independent. It's good for our industrial base to be permitting more pipelines, have more projects underway. It's absolutely good for jobs as well. And it will help reduce inflation. Because if you look about where uh, energy is factored into this, Biden basically squandered a lot of the strategic petroleum reserve, which artificially kept the price a little lower than it otherwise would have been. Uh, Time may be running out on that, and you may see spikes in energy. And if that's the case, inflation will, will go back up again. So I think that that's really, really important. And then you also need to rip out uh, the bureaucratic excess. Yes, part of it is the weaponization and the deep state, but it's also just a massive, massive overreach of these bureaucrats where they want to tell you what kind of car you can drive. They want to tell you what kind of energy you can use with never having stood for election and not accountable to the American people. It's a distortion of constitutional government. It's also terrible for economic growth. Last question for you. We know you're busy uh, making your case all over the country. Front, uh, not front page, I don't think, uh, but a big article in the Wall Street Journal. The headline is Disney World hasn't felt this empty in years. Says July 4th, 10 year low. They're having trouble getting people to show up at Disney World and Disneyland. Uh, the movies, and I know you got young kids, the movies that they've been putting out, the Pixar movies are collapsing. Even the recent Indiana Jones did not do well. 
Do you think Disney is getting Bud lighted by many people out there? If you were giving them advice on what would make sense going forward from a business perspective, it feels to me like Disney has gone woke and Bob Iger is now paying the consequences. Do you see it that way? Well, I'll tell you, as uh, parents of six, five, and three-year-old kids, my wife and I really believe that parents should be able to send their kids to school, let them watch cartoons without having an agenda shoved down their throat. That's why we stood up to Disney with respect to our parents' rights and education bill. Uh, And I think that it is impacting parents' willingness to want to take their kids to the Disney stuff. The sad part about it, guys, is when we were having this fight with Disney in 2022, most of the employees in their Orlando area theme parks, they agreed with us. Yeah. Uh, I won Osceola County for the first time a Republican's done in a generation by 7%, which is where the majority of, of Disney employees live. So this is really a cadre of woke executives in Burbank trying to impose this agenda down um, on the rest of the company. I think it's been catastrophic. My advice would just be, look, what made Disney kind of the all-American company under Walt and, and beyond was a focus on family, uh, a focus on you know traditional pro-American values. They would never have wanted to sexualize children uh, the way Disney has gone down this. So they just have to look in the mirror, understand, first of all, it's wrong. Second of all, people aren't buying this. And it is ultimately to the detriment of the company. It's in the best interest of Disney shareholders that they get refocused on their previous core mission and get the woke out of there. And it goes beyond when you start talking about kids, because some of the woke in society is kind of annoying. And, you know, sometimes you just kind of roll your eyes. When you start talking about our kids, that's when parents really, really rise up uh, and respond. And I, and I think it's sad that that's the case, but they have knowingly chosen to go down this road. And I can tell you in Florida, uh, you know, we're one of the few places where we've stood up to these woke companies in defense of parents and children. I get criticized by a lot of Republicans for having done that, but I'll tell you, uh, I would do it again, and it was the right thing to do. Governor Ron DeSantis, thanks for being with us, sir, and good luck to you out there. All right, take care, guys. Support U.S.-funded resources. Phoenix Capital Group invites you to invest in the heart of America with domestic energy corporate bonds. With Phoenix Capital, you can connect private investor principal with direct investments in domestic energy assets. Your venture in these U.S.-backed equities can gain up to 9 to 12% annual interest paid monthly. It's a vote of confidence in the American dream in the unwavering spirit that built our nation. To find out more, download the Phoenix Group's free investment packet today at phxonair.com. Investment in bonds have a certain amount of risk associated with it, and you should only invest if you can afford to bear the risk of loss. Before making investment decisions, you should carefully consider and review all risks involved. Learn how you can diversify your investments and earn 9 to 12% APY. Download the Phoenix Group's free investment packet today at phxonair.com. Welcome in. Hour number three, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show, Monday edition. Encourage you to go download the iHeartRadio app. Make sure that you don't miss a moment of this show anywhere in the country. Welcome again. Our new affiliate in Washington, D.C., 104.7, Freedom 104.7. That is a fantastic, um, absolutely fantastic addition to this show. And we're joined now. It's a great movie that's out. It's having a tremendous amount of success. Some of you may have already seen it. If not, you may have well heard about it. If you have not, you're going to hear this discussion about it here. Jim Caviezel, who was the star in Passion of the Christ, he is also a star in Sound of Freedom, um, and Jim, we appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us. I know you were on with Rush years ago uh, when The Passion of the Christ came out, and many of our listeners may well remember hearing you 20-some-odd years ago uh, with Rush as you discussed the success of, of, of that movie. And now you're back with us again. you got another movie that's dominating. Tell us what it's about, why you think it's having success, and why you'd encourage people listening to go check it out. I play a man named Tim Ballard. Uh former Homeland Security uh, man that goes down to the border of Calexico, California, and takes down one of the worst pedophiles, traffickers they'd ever seen. He rescues this little boy. The little boy says, will you find my sister? And he essentially sells everything to go and look for this little girl. Jim, it's Buck. Thanks so much for, for being with us. Um, this, this movie, I mean, we, we see this where, 
something that has um, a theme, a, a traditional theme of just good versus, in this case, pure evil, does so well at the box office. And there are all these reviews and people writing about it saying, oh, well, this is a surprise or that this kind of independent film. Why do you think this is resonating so much with people? Uh, it has a lot to do with, in a nutshell, with our, our, our republic that's collapsing right now. If we can hurt little children and let them die and be slaughtered. Um, and, um, I mean, there's plenty of facts here, too. And, they, they, they you know, these media that claim fact checkers, who the public is waking up. They're now asking, who are your fact checkers? Because I love for them to cross-examine with Tim Ballard and many of these agents. They don't know what they're talking about, and they won't even go to the border. And when you look at a country that doesn't have a south border, are we a country? We're celebrating the 4th of July. We don't have a south border. We are not a sovereign nation. What is going on? That's what the American public is looking at. And the facts are there. They have done plenty, plenty stuff, research. But you never see these people that read from their papers they're probably getting from the Pentagon to actually go down there and do their own research like people like Laura Logan that actually go into war zones. Jim, what do you attribute the overall success of this movie? Because I know you're probably like Buck and and myself, an old school movie buff, and you remember when Indiana Jones was out in the Temple of Doom and Raiders of the Lost Ark and everything else. Your movie is going head-to-head now and winning in many markets against the fifth Indiana Jones movie with all of the marketing power, all of the dollars that Disney can pour into a franchise of that magnitude. What does the success of your movie say about the desperate demand for stories such as these to be told? You know, last year they did a movie on the Top Gun, and Tom Cruise didn't go into all of the... uh, BS that they wanted to make his film uh, and taken away from the the original Top Gun. People went there and they watched, they had an experience. They they loved the flight aerials and stuff. They loved that it was American and they loved their country. And we have a, we have a Republic life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And, and so we have gone so far left and had people shove their, you know, LGBTQ flag up into our face. We've millions of Christians that are saying, this is sick. This is not what, what we want. So I made a movie that's the truth about what's going on. It's current. You know, if, if they had made Schindler's List during the time of when it was happening, think about that. It would have been, what, what that had, had, would have been. It would have saved millions of lives. And so... This is poking right at the, the dragon, the, all the three-letter agencies, all of them, because you can't tell me that 85,000 children can come across the border and disappear, like Ms. Rodas's April 26th testimony told us, that 85,000 children have vanished. And then you have all these articles coming out and ripping the film. Why? What, 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 what's wrong with being an anti-trafficking film and an anti-pedo film. Brother, look at the laws that they're trying to pass now. And so Americans are fed up. They're, they're sick and tired of you taking our beer. It's not our beer anymore. We're not drinking Buddy Light. We're not going to Target anymore. And we're not going to Pedo uh, Land anymore. And, and, and all of these other conglomerates that want to get involved in this, Americans have draw, drawn the line. And the line is our children. And you can't F with our children. I'm trying to be polite here. But you cannot mess with our children because God's children are not for sale. And Americans still appreciate one nation under God. You know, you know Jim, I know you, you're playing in this film, The Sound of Freedom, which we recommend everybody see uh, out there. And it's doing very well, which is which is encouraging on a, on a number of levels that a film like this would have the reception that it has had. You play uh, Tim Ballard, or your character, uh, Jim, is based on Tim Ballard. I'm sure you've had lots of conversations with him about what could we begin to do here to confront the scale of this problem. I mean, as I said in the beginning, 
I don't know if there's anything that could be considered a more absolute evil than the trafficking of children. And you're you're putting numbers out there. You're raising awareness about this with the movie. What would be some of the steps? I mean, a lot of people out there are thinking, how do we start to I know it's a massive problem. It's a global problem. But what does it look like to try to begin to fight back against this effectively and save these kids? Well, right now, there's a message that I give at the end of the film. It's a, it's a, um, it's a powerful message. But right now, what's happening is, is that when we first went to sell this film, we had to go through social media. Nobody would listen to us. And we were a voice in the desert crying out. And eventually, the public started coming. And now they're starting to come. I mean, this is just starting. And what they're doing is they... Angel has this, they're the ones that promote the film, and Angel has this pay-it-forward program. Uh, curiously enough, a film I did. But it's a pay-it-forward program that help people that are economically stuck right now to see this film. And they go to the movie, they get free tickets. And so the word is spreading because people are able to see the film because a lot of people under this crazy administration they can't afford it. So they've made it affordable. Nobody's ever done this before. Angel did this, the Harmon brothers. And so the the first thing is getting people to see it. So that individual can't afford a ticket. He buys it. Maybe he goes in and he has 10 tickets that he, uh, you know, for his friends and him, and they go and watch it. And then they go tell 10, 20, 30 people, and that's what's happening. Now, we had gone to Congress and asked them, hey, we got to get this stuff going on with the border here. And they kind of hemmed and hawed. I thought they were going to do something they didn't. You know what? Nothing is going to happen unless the people unite and say enough. And our, this is by the people, for the people. This is not a government. We, they, government doesn't run us, and that's what they've been doing. And now we're all pulling together right now. We're all dangerous to them. But we know we're a republic. We know we're not a democracy. We know we are a republic. Because you can't vote somebody's inalienable rights away under a republic. Life comes before liberty. Life comes before happiness. Because without you, your life, you have no liberty. You have no happiness. And, and so by the people, for the people is happening right now. And it, we're going to constitutional, full across the board. And we're going to become a sovereign nation again very soon. And we're uniting around this because you can't. Because, again, my character says over and over again, God's children are not for sale. And when God tells you to do something, you don't hesitate. That's the American way. Jim, you're obviously very passionate. That's fueled so much of your success as an actor. We're talking to Jim Caviezel. I know there's a talk, and I'm curious what the update is on this. A lot of our listeners watched The Passion of the Christ, the movie that you starred in that Mel Gibson produced. I know that there's talk of the Passion of the Christ or Resurrection, and so i got a couple of things here. What can you tell us about that movie? And when you make a movie like Sound of Freedom, how much uh, of the Hollywood audience actually does respond to the movie like this, even if they don't do, do so publicly? In other words, how much of an underground is there in Hollywood where people who work on the movies, both actors but you know behind-the-scenes people, actually are big proponents of their faith and supportive of what's going on? Well, they're there. They're underground. And they're there in the agencies as well. They're good, good, good Americans are fighting. But the guys that are in charge are the ones that are destroying our republic. We did The Passion of the Christ 20 years ago. Uh, came out in 2004. We filmed it in 2002, and I got to go through a huge experience on that movie. When I t the moment I took that movie, I was told by many not to do this film, and I said, "Why? It's in the Gospels. It's in the Bible. Um, you know, we put our hand on the Bible, and when we uh, swear, in, you know, you go into a court hearing, you put your hand on the Bible, um, and this version of it is the one we did right from that, and." I was incredibly attacked by the media. So that was before um, fake news, okay? When Trump came in and started talking about fake news, nobody knew it was fake news. Now we all know it's fake news. And they're struggling with the narrative. 
And the narrative back then was to take away our foundation of one nation under God. That That's what they chipped away at. And when we came in with that film, you know, this film did remarkably well, but the passion came in five days. This was six, almost seven days. That was five days at $139 million at $7 a ticket back then, you know? And, and the public spoke out and said, this is our film. After that happened, I couldn't get a job. Why? The film did over a billion dollars worth of business. And they were like, no, no, not unless you work on our terms. I was given a gift. It came from God Almighty. And it's not my gift, it's his. Uh, that's the difference between me and other artists. I, I didn't give myself a gift. But I'll, I'll put my gift up against anybody in the world because it's his. And so I have a responsibility to do my job and and fight for Americans in films. You know, I was inspired by Jimmy Stewart when I was around Jimmy Stewart. And he told me, Jim, make good movies. And so I did. I made The Thin Red Line. And, and I was moving up the rocket uh, chain right here in this industry with always the intention to inspire people to find moral redemption in stories. And the industry has been hijacked from us, the people, American people. And so they're crying out in this in this film right now. They're watching because this is current. As I said, it, Schindler's List had been made during the time of Auschwitz. It could have prevented a lot of wickedness that would happen under the Nazis. And also with the what happened under the Soviet Union, their crimes to date are just unprecedented. But it, we have a lot of these things going around right now, and that children, there are more slaves right now, of children right now, in this world, than all slavery when it was legal in history. That's what you find out in this film. The film is The Sound of Freedom. I know a lot of you have seen it. A lot more of you will see it. Uh, Jim, thank you so much for being with us here, sharing your story, and uh, we wish you continued luck both in this film and on future films. I would like to thank all Americans, all Americans out there. And uh, I've said this before, um, when Ronald Reagan said it many years from his uh, time for choosing, that you and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of men on earth, but we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. My brothers and sisters, in the words of Reagan, remember, evil is powerless. If the good are unafraid, God bless you. Thank you, Jim. Man, fantastic interview there. We'll react to it. Also, we're going to talk with Riley Gaines, third hour of the program underway. And I want to tell you, millions of driver's licenses were exposed in a massive data breach after bad actors hacked a popular file transfer service. Personal info, full names, addresses, birth dates, driver's license numbers, many more may have been compromised. If they can do that, how do you protect yourself? Well, you need to be able to understand that cybercrime is growing every single day. And while no one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions, it's easy to help protect yourself with LifeLock. Join now and save 25% off your first year with the promo code CLAY. Call 1-800-LIFELOCK or head to LifeLock.com and use that promo code CLAY for 25% off. That's 1-800-LIFELOCK, promo code CLAY, 25% off. They're here to shed light on the truth every day. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today today here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast this is where we discuss all things reality tv all things popular culture and a little bit of Rappaport's reality the reality of bit. us we're a figuring bit. out and if we had been recording these last four or five days Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.
I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. A couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back in. Play Travis Buck Sexton Show. We've got a loaded show for you. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis uh, last hour, as well as you just heard at the beginning of this hour, Jim Caviezel. She, he was both of those guests fantastic. I know that our next guest is also going to be fantastic. She is Riley Gaines. I am excited to announce that OutKick has hired her. Uh, to be doing a podcast all about defending women's sports. And Riley, we're excited to have you. Um, and I've got a quote for you. The timing is unbelievable on this. Um, Megan Rapino is announced that she is retiring. The U.S. Women's World Cup is just about to start in Australia and New Zealand. And in an interview in Time Magazine, Riley, I don't even know if you've seen these quotes yet. I'm going to read them for you. Uh, she was asked, Megan Rapino was, would you welcome a uh, trans athlete? Uh, Rapino said, absolutely. You, uh, you're taking a real woman's place. That's the part of the argument that's still extremely transphobic. I see trans women as real women. What you're saying automatically in the argument, you're sort of telling on yourself already, is you don't believe these people are women. Therefore, they're taking the other spot. I don't feel that way. And she said later, oh, now we care about fairness. Now we care about women's sports. That's total bull. You know what it comes after. And show me all the trans people who are nefariously taking advantage of being trans in sports. It's just not happening, Rapino said. What would you say in response, Riley? Look, I mean, this is the most... I mean, this is predictable, to be honest. We could have imagined that she would have said absolutely. Of course she did when she just announced her career was over. Had Megan Rapinoe been asked this question in the height of her career, trying actually trying to advance to the height of her career, she would not have the same opinions. And it, it's, it's easy to understand why. It's because a man could easily take her place, easily. And in regards to, to how this is telling on yourselves, that goes, I mean, that goes more our way than anything, because at our national championships, they had to change the rules to the locker room to allow a man into our locker room. They had to say, oh, well, we got around this by making the locker rooms unisex. That right there is admitting that it's not a woman. It's, it's a full admittance. These organizations who are buying into this, they know it's wrong. They know it's unfair. And Megan Rapino is virtue signaling, which is not a surprise to anyone. You know, what do you think, and Riley, it's Buck, what, what do you think the response should be to uh, to this? Because we know it's only a matter of time before you do have a, a, a male-to-female transition who is trying to play at a high level of, of women's soccer. You came up against this in swimming. It's happened elsewhere. Uh, do, do you think that the female players should just refuse to play? I mean, this is often something that comes up. What's the proper response, given that this is just going to continue? You know, for the longest time, I rejected the notion of, of boycott. I thought women shouldn't have to compromise anything. There's no sacrifice that we should make. 
But now, let me tell you, as I see more and more girls get injured, I see more and more girls lose out on opportunities, more and more girls exploited in a locker room, boycotting is the answer. That's how this is going, that's how we're effectively gonna make change. I thought legislation would be the way forward, but really the turning point for me in embracing a boycott is when this got introduced on the House um, at the federal level by Representative Greg Stubbe, the Protection of Women and Girls in Sports Act, and all Democrats, every single one of them, all 203, voted in opposition of protecting women and girls in sports. And that's when I realized if we wait for legislation to make changes, it's too far gone. Too many women will have lost out. Too many women, again, will be have their rights to privacy entirely violated um, and, and be potentially injured in their sports. So I most certainly am advocating and calling for a boycott, not just from women. I think men could boycott too. Men need to make a statement. I, I think that's a, a powerful way to show that this is something that affects everyone and that everyone has had enough. You shared a story over the weekend, I think it was, that I, I couldn't believe it was real. And I want you to fill in for people out there who may not have heard about it. There was a 16-year-old girl who objected to a biological man pretending to be a woman, using a YMCA, I believe I've got this correct, locker room. What happened to her? What is this story for people who have not heard it? So I've talked to this family. Um, The story is every single day after their practice, at the same time, a man would be undressing in their locker room. Um, And these girls, of course, they felt uncomfortable by this. And so they went to their coach immediately and said, hey, you know, there's a man in our locker room every single day. Can you can you do something about it? And he assured them, you know, of course, I'll do something. But it continued to happen every single day. And so these girls, they met together. They took it upon themselves to do something. And so they got together. They wrote little posters. And on these posters, which were eventually deemed as hate speech, they wrote protect women's sports. They they wrote, you know, women's space only, certain things like that. Nothing, nothing even about trans individuals. Just so it was a pro-woman message. And they put these these posters up in the locker room. And that next day of practice, their coach pulls them together and says, who did this? And the one girl steps forward and she said, well, I was a part in it. And he said, you're off the team immediately and you're kicked off out of the YMCA. And so she was banned from the YMCA for, for opposing a male who is undressing to be in their locker room. I want to emphasize this again, because am I correct, Riley, this is a... 16-year-old girl, a minor, and her teammates are also minors. And she, this girl, bore the consequences for saying, hey, there shouldn't be a man changing in our locker room who's arguing that he's a woman. She was the one who had to bear the consequences. You're right. That's exactly right. And it's crazy. And I, I think to make matters even worse, not only did these parents have to deal with this with this daughter, their older daughter... Her name is Caitlin Wheeler. She was on my team at University of Kentucky and we were training partners and she's one of my best friends. And she dealt with this when competing and changing in a locker room with Leah Thomas. And so now this poor, these poor parents have dealt with this from two of their daughters, yet it, people continually push the argument, it's not really happening. Uh, you know, th- this, it's, it's, it's not really a big deal, it's not happening. It is happening. It happened to this family twice. One of the young track and field girls out in California who competed against a boy, um, her older sister competed against Leah Thomas as well. These are two families who have been impacted in two entirely different situations, but in the same way. Riley, you may have seen this. It's uh, not quite sports, but it is a competition that the Miss Netherlands competition was, which is a, is a feeder to the Miss uh, Universe competition, was won. This is a female beauty pageant. It was won by a transgender man or transgender woman. Um, is, is this the next thing we should expect where, uh, trans, like, like women's pageants and, and other things also are now going to be won by men? Look, there's a realm of things we can expect this in, not just beauty pageants, but prisons, um, in women's shelters and sororities. And notice this is only going one way. It is always narcissistic, entitled men um, entering in the women's division. We don't see women going in men's bathrooms. We don't see women going into men's prisons. And it's because these men are on power trips. 
And look, I have no animosity towards, let, let's say, Leah Thomas, for example. Look, Leah Thomas was following the rules. It's the rules that need to change that allowed this, because what message are these rules sending? And I can tell you from my experience, the message I got, and it's that I don't matter, that we as women, as girls, as female athletes, we didn't matter. Our privacy, our safety, our fairness, our self-perception of ourselves, our mental health, our dignity, I mean, the list goes on. None of that matters. What matters to these, to corporate America, to academia, to the media, to actually the Biden administration who, who is leading this country, what matters to them is, is catering to the radical minority with us as women being collateral damage. I think the answer is, Riley, that as part of your OutKick podcast, you'd be very happy to talk to somebody like Megan Rapino. So when Megan Rapino says... It's total BS. Show me all the trans people who are nefariously taking advantage of being trans in sports. It's just not happening. For people out there who may not have heard your story, Riley, you can tell us about what the podcast is going to do, but legitimately the reason that you are talking to us is because a man ended up winning a women's NCAA championship and you competed against that man identifying as a woman. And so you were planning yeah. on being, I believe, a, a vet. Like you would be in veterinary school right now, but for the fact that this competitive situation directly happened in NCAA Women's Championship sports. You're exactly right. Um, this is never something I wanted for myself. This is never something I felt equipped for. I mean, heck, I still don't feel equipped for what I'm doing. But I know what's at stake if I don't do it. Um, and and to, to answer your question, I would love to have Megan Rapino on your podcast. I actually consider this an official invite. Megan Rapino, I would love it if you join the new Gains for Girls podcast where we can have an open dialogue about the issue of men competing in women's sports. And Nancy Armour, consider this your open invitation as well. This is the woman who deems Sam Ponder as a bigot for believing in biology. And she claims that I am some right-wing grifter who's just trying to climb the ladder off of off of tying against Leah Thomas. No, Nancy, I would love to have a conversation with you. Um, this is definitely a space where I hope to spread awareness and ultimately, more than anything, spread the truth. Well, congratulations on OutKick. I hear the guy who founded it is pretty he's pretty cool. He's okay. <laughs> yeah, he's um, okay, right? <laughs> and and I hear you're you're launching a podcast. When does that start? I actually just filmed my first episode. Um, I think the plan is for it to come out on Wednesday, so we'll see. Riley Gaines, awesome. everybody. Go find her. She's going to kill it, Buck, and I bet you're going to find out that all the people who disagree with her, when offered an open forum to come and explain their audience and their opinion, they'll run and hide. They won't do it. I've never seen somebody. Thank you, Riley. Thanks so much for being with us. I've never seen somebody try to make a a serious and earnest uh, all you get from people on the left with, you know, with audiences that have podcasts and that are doing like the streaming video game stuff and that are really cool and hip. Whenever this comes up, uh, they'll say it's not really an issue. Why are you so focused on it? Yeah, that's the best they can do. That's all they've got. Anyway, my friends, unborn children need your voice as well as everyone else's in this audience who believes in the value of life. Every day, unborn babies lives are under attack. Preborn is one organization that's looking after the life of unborn children for uh, and has been doing so for a long time, going on about 17 years. Preborn is the largest pro-life ministry in the country. They provide free ultrasounds to women in crisis, pregnant women who are making the most important decision. Their work includes free ultrasounds as well as counseling, support, and just the unconditional love they give to women for the help that they need in this difficult period. Will you stand with Preborn? One ultrasound is just $28. Five ultrasounds, that's just $140. To donate, use your cell phone and dial pound 250. Say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say the word baby. Or online, donate securely at preborn.com slash buck. That's preborn.com slash B-U-C-K. Sponsored by Preborn. Download and use the new Clay and Buck app. Listen to the program live. Catch up on any part of the show you might have missed. Stay current with what Clay and Buck are saying on TV. Find the Clay and Buck app in your app store and make it part of your day. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael 
to the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.